Well, hello, all you cool cats and kittens, and welcome to the first online theater podcast for our class. So, this is my first time teaching in this sort of environment, so bear with me. We're all going to be going through this learning process together. I hope these past few weeks have treated you well. I hope you've stayed inside. Hope you're staying healthy and away from all this craziness, all right? So, for our podcast, we will be taking notes together. So that way I'm not just talking at you. That way you know what to write down, what information will be important, okay? So right now, I want you to go. I want you to find a sheet of paper and a pencil. and give you five seconds. Go find that now. Boom! That was five seconds about, I'm pretty sure. So hopefully you press the pause button, got your paper, got your pencil, and we're about ready to go, all right? I want you to pull up your piece of paper. It should be blank. Have your pencil ready in hand. And we're going to start with these notes, okay? So, at the top of your sheet of paper, I want you to write David Ball Analysis. Underline it if you want. You can even put podcast number one if you'd like. All right. So, obviously, today we're going to be talking about script analysis that comes from David Ball. All right? So, we're just going to hop in here. As you know, we talked about uh, some of the stuff before all this craziness happened. All right? So, we're going to start off with our stasis. We know what stasis is. Luckily, we got to touch on this before all this craziness took place. All right? So, the first line of your notes, I want you to write stasis. And next to stasis, I want you to write establishing information, period. Then I want you to write who, what, where, and why. All right, that is our first line of notes. A stasis is establishing information at the beginning of our story. The who, the what, the where, and maybe even the why of our story. Awesome job. As you remember, the stasis is the beginning, information-filled, boring part of our story before any action takes place, all right? So now that we have stasis written down, under that, I want you to write intrusion. Intrusion. Next to intrusion, I want you to write the definition, which is sets. Sets our story. Our story into motion. So we should have stasis, establishing information. Who, what, where, and why. Under that, we should have intrusion. Sets our story into motion, right? So our intrusion is what comes along to that stasis and disrupts it, right? Our intrusion disrupts our stasis and puts our story into motion. Our intrusion is essentially the first action of our play, all right? Awesome job. So just a reminder what those were, right? Our stasis is establishing the information at the beginning of our story, and our intrusion is what comes in and interrupts that stasis, right? 
So moving on, your next line, I want you to write exposition. E-X-P-O-S-I-T-I-O-N. Exposition. And next to that, I want you to write beginning, beginning, slash, original stasis. So that is what our exposition is. Our exposition is the beginning of our story, the original stasis of our story. All right. So our exposition, there are two types of exposition. All right. The first type of exposition. So the first type of exposition is information known to everyone on stage. So under exposition, I want you to write number one. One. Next to that one, I want you to write information. Information known to everyone on stage. All right. Information known to everyone on stage. All right, an example of that is, what's that movie called? Uh, the Fall in Our Stars, right? Fall in Our Stars is about a bunch of sick kids, essentially, right? So at the beginning of our movie, right, the movie opens up on Hazel Grace and her parents in their kitchen, right? So in that moment, that is our that is our establishment of our story. That is our exposition. Our beginning of our exposition is Hazel Grace in the kitchen with her parents, right? So this is an example of the first type of exposition because it's information known to everyone on stage, or in this case, everyone in the scene. So everyone in the scene, Hazel Grace and her parents, everyone knows that Hazel has a terminal illness, right? That information is then shared with the audience when the family starts talking about the help group that Hazel is going to go to for her disease, right? So the exposition is having this information. The first type of exposition is having this information known to everyone on stage and then having that information shared once that information is shared, right? It is the playwright's goal to share that exposition, share that information with everyone on stage as well as the audience, okay? Now, under number one, I want you to write a number two. Next to that number two, I want you to write information. Information known to only one or few on stage. All right. So what does that mean? Information known to only one or few on stage. Now that is different from information known to everyone on stage, right? Because if we go back to our example and fault in our stars, everyone on stage knows Hazel Grace has a terminal illness, right? That information is later revealed once we learn about the help group she's going to go to. But information known to only one or few on stage, the second type of exposition, all right, that looks different from the first type. All right, so 
as you all, you all should have read the excerpt from A Streetcar Named Desire by now, right? So, an example of the second type of exposition, information known to only one or few on stage, is in A Streetcar Named Desire. You didn't see this part, but at the beginning of the story, we have Stella in her house, who... She is in her house, and then her husband, Stanley, shows up, and then they leave together to go bowling. After they leave, that is when Stella's sister, Blanche, shows up. Blanche shows up at this apartment, confused, not sure exactly where her sister lives, right? This is, is an example of the second type of exposition, because everybody, because one or few, in this case, a few people on stage, know that this two-bedroom apartment is Stella's home, right? That's information known to a few on stage. Once Blanche arrives, right, and she finds out that this is her sister's home, that is when that exposition is revealed, right? Because we go from only a few knowing that this is Stella's home to everyone knowing, including Blanche, that this is Stella's home, okay? So those are your two types of exposition. The first type is information known to everyone on stage. For example, Hazel Grace having a terminal illness. All right. And the second type of exposition is information known to only one or a few on stage. And back to our example from A Streetcar Named Desire is Stella being in this rundown two-bedroom apartment. That's information known to a few but once that information is shared with Blanche, then everyone on stage, as well as us in the audience, know that this is Stella's home. Awesome. So that's what exposition is. Exposition is the beginning of our story, having certain information at the beginning of the story that the playwright has to figure out how to share that information with everyone in the story and everyone in the audience. All right. Awesome. Now, under your exposition, under your two types of exposition, your next line of notes, I want you to write trigger and heap. Next to that, I want you to write one action that leads to the next action, to the next action. All right. And then next to that, we're going to write a little trigger and heap equation. All right. So next to that definition, I want you to write capital T plus capital H equals capital T plus capital H equals T. All right, that's our trigger and heap equation. It's repetitive because that's what trigger and heap is. It's repetitive. It's one action that leads to the next action that leads to the next action that leads to the next action, right? Let's get specific with this, shall we? So for in our excerpt from A Streetcar Named Desire, right? You didn't, you guys didn't read this part, but at the beginning of our story, of a streetcar named Desire, we have Stella, who is at home. Stella is at home, and her husband arrives at their house. When he arrives, he calls to his wife. So he calls to his wife, 
Him calling to his wife in turn causes her to come to him. When she goes to her husband, Stanley, he then lets her know that she needs to put this meat away, right? For dinner, essentially. So we have Stella at home, Stanley arriving home, Stanley calling Stella, Stella responding to Stanley, Stanley giving Stella meat to put away, and then Stella putting that meat away, right? These are all the actions that one to the next to the next. We have the first action, Stella being home. The second action, Stanley showing up. The third action of Stanley calling his wife. The fourth action of Stella responding to being called, right? And then it goes from there. So it's one action that leads to the next that leads to the next, all right? That's why this equation comes in handy because if we want to break this equation down, the first T would be Stella at home. So Stella at home plus the next plus the H, which would be Stanley arriving, equals Stanley calling to Stella. That would be the third T. That would be the second T, excuse me, right? So the first part of our equation, Stella at home plus Stanley arriving home equals Stanley calling out to Stella plus Stella responding equals Stanley giving Stella the meat to store. All right. Hopefully that makes sense how Trigger and Heap works. All right. If not, email me. We can talk it out. All right. Now, under your Trigger and Heap definition and equation, I want you to go to the next line of your notes. All right. The next line, I want you to write unit of action. All right. And there are four types of unit of ac- units of action. All right. So next to your unit of action, I want you to write number one. This is going to be the first type of unit of action. This is going to be the first thing that establishes a unit of action. All right. So next to that number one, I want you to write tactic change. All right. So that is how a unit of action is established in a text when there is a tactic change. All right. Now, an example of this is in, uh, once again, from a streetcar named Desire, when Blanche and Eunice first enter the apartment, Blanche is ready to be left alone. Right. So she's like, oh, well, thank you. I'm so tired. And uh, Eunice responds, oh, well, sit down, get a drink or something. Right. And once once Blanche realizes her subtle way of saying, oh, I'm sleepy is not working, she transitions to a more direct way, saying, I'd like to be left alone, right? That is a tactic change. So that would be the start of a new unit, would be when Blanche goes to try a new tactic. Because Blanche goes from, oh, I'm so sleepy, thank you, to I would like to be left alone. That tactic change is the start of a new unit. All right, so that's our number one, a tactic change. Next to number one or uh, below it, however you like to do your lists, I want you to write number two. All right, the number two is a power, right, this is what we're writing, power 
shift between characters. Alright? A power shift between characters. That is also, that would also establish a new beginning to a unit. An example from, an example from our streetcar named Desire excerpt is when Stella first, uh, when Stella first arrives home to find Blanche in her apartment, right? They're interacting and they're so excited to see each other. And then Blanche says, hey, go turn out the lights. I don't want you to look at me like this. I don't want you to see my face. Go turn out the lights. And then Stella goes and turns out the lights. That is a power shift because they've gone from just interacting with each other to Stella giving direction and instruction. I'm sorry, not Stella, to Blanche giving instructions and directions to Stella to turn out the light because she doesn't want her face to be seen. All right. So that's an example of a power shift. So next to the power shift between characters, I want you to write number three or below, however you do your list. All right. The number three is a discovery is made. All right. A discovery is made. We've kind of talked on this a little bit with the exposition, uh, but a discovery such as from a streetcar. Uh, my two examples are not in our excerpts. A streetcar named Desire is about Blanche who comes to visit her sister, Stella, who is living with her husband, Stanley, right? And Blanche stays with them for a while. Things go really bad, and Blanche ends up leaving to go stay in a mental institution, all right? As all this information is happening, one of the discoveries that is made in about the halfway through A Streetcar Named Desire is we find out that, is we find out that Stella is pregnant. That is a discovery. Because we've gone from thinking, oh, Stella just put on a little weight to Stella has a bun in the oven. So that discovery made would be the start of a new unit. All right. So number three, a discovery made. Next to number three below, however you do your lists, I want you to write the simple number four. So number four, it's very simple, is when there is an entrance or an exit. Simple as that, when a character enters or exits. Back to our streetcar named Desire example. When Eunice says, I'll go hurry her up, and she leaves the apartment, that is the start of a new unit because Eunice has exited the scene. Okay? That's simple when a, when a character exits or enters. All right? So those are the four ways a unit of action is determined. A tactic change, a power shift, a discovery made, or an entrance or an exit. All right? Now, hopping into the final piece of our notes. Below your unit of action list, I want you on the next line to write the word conflict. Conflict. There are four different types of conflict that we are going to be discussing today. All right? So, under conflict, next to conflict, however you make your lists, I want you to write number one. And the number one is me. This is what we're writing. Number one, me versus me. All right? And that is when 
Next to that, me versus me, we're also writing this, is when a character wants something and knows it's wrong. All right? When a character wants something, but they know it's wrong. An example for that type of conflict of me versus me is in Little Red Riding Hood. In Little Red Riding Hood, her mom tells her, go straight to your grandma's house. Don't stop. Don't lollygag. Go straight there. And when Little Red is on her way to her grandma's house, she gets the idea to go and pick flowers. So Little Red wants to pick the flowers, but she knows it is not something she is supposed to do. That is, is an example of me versus me conflict, all right? When the character wants something but knows it's wrong. Little Red wanted to pick the flowers, but she knew that's not what she was supposed to be doing. All right? Under your number one or next to it, however you make your list, we're going to write number two. Next to the number two, you are going to write me versus other individuals. Me versus other individuals. Next to that, I want you to write character wants something, but the thing is guarded by someone else. All right? So number two, me versus other individuals. When a character wants something, but that thing they want is guarded by someone else. An example of that is the very well-known Cinderella story, right? So in Cinderella, she wants to go to the ball, and she wants to find a beautiful dress to go. Once she finally has her dress, her stepmother and stepsisters tear it apart, thus ensuring that she cannot wear the dress to the ball, right? That is a conflict of me versus other individuals because Cinderella wants to go to the ball, but her stepmother and stepsisters are not allowing her to. All right, that's me versus other individuals. Now we're going to move on to the third type of conflict. So under your, under your number two, we're going to write number three. And this is going to be me versus society. Me versus society. And next to that, you're going to write character, character's behavior has consequences slash social ram, ramifications. Ramifications. That's the third type of conflict, me versus society. Character where a character's behavior has consequences or social ramifications. Now, an example of this is Romeo and Juliet. In the story of Romeo and Juliet, Romeo gets in a fight and kills the character Tybalt for revenge for his friend. Once this information is learned by the prince, Romeo is banished to live not in their not in their hometown, right? So that is an example of me versus society, where a character's behavior has consequences. Romeo 
fought out of revenge, killed out of revenge, and because of that, he was deemed to be banished from his home. All right, that's the third type, me versus society. All right, the fourth and final type of conflict is me versus God slash the universe slash fate. So we're going to write that number four, me versus God slash the universe slash fate. All right, and the definition for that is where a character is working, character, working against worldly slash godly elements. All right. And an example for that is The Good Woman of Sutsamen. In that play, it, that play is about a woman from the play from a place of Susamen where the there is, I think it's three or four gods come to her town to see if they can find goodness in people. And one of the people that they're keeping an eye on is the good woman of Sudsamen. So she has come, she comes across a lot of various situations and conflicts and has to respond in a certain positive way to ensure that she can please the gods, essentially, right? So me versus God slash the universe slash fate is when a character is working against godly and worldly elements. In the Good Woman of Sutsamen, she had she had to help homeless people, homeless families, people who were trying to steal her money, right? Had to go through all these situations to determine if she was a good person. So those are the four types of conflict. Me versus me, me versus other individuals, me versus society, and me versus God slash the universe slash fate. All right? So those are the four types of conflict. Hopefully this gave you a little more clarity on your script analysis. If you have questions or you are confused on something I've said, shoot me an email. We can talk it out and I'll try to be more clear. All right. Thanks for listening to the first podcast. You guys have a good day.